Hello listener, welcome to Switch. Plenty has been going on in the world of English cricket, so much so that we've barely had time to record a pod. But England's new test era is fast approaching, Rob Key having gone for not one but two tattooed talismans in his bid to resurrect their long format fortunes. With Ben Stokes as captain and Brendan McCullum coach, there's a distinctly Kiwi flavour to the setup. Although the squad for the first two tests contained plenty of familiar ingredients, it'll soon be time to suck it and see. But for now, the first bite is with the eyes. And to that end, I'm joined by two judges of impeccable taste, ESPN Crick Info UK editor Andrew Miller and associate editor Matt Roller, to preview the first proper tear-up of the summer. Uh, good to see you both. Uh, first question for Miller, is the back in or out since your Stokes-esque screamer of a catch the other week? <laughs> the, the back went out when I tried to reenact it in the kitchen, which, um, yeah, I, I, I took a few days off. But yeah, I, I took, the, took the blinder of my life playing on London Fields a couple of weeks ago, yeah, diving low to my left, stretching in gully, inches from the turf. It was glorious. It was one of those moments I'm just going to, I can just close my eyes and, and cheer myself up at every any given moment. Um, so that was nice. A com- uh, so, combination of Stokes at Trent Bridge and Strauss in 2005, I think. Exactly. You, you described it. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, obviously he was, he was diving the same way as Strauss, but yeah. it was sort of more behind me like Stokes. So there we go. Um, anyway, yeah, that, 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 that's my, my life complete. Um, <laughs> that's the pod complete as well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't think we need to cover anything else, really. Um, but it, I mean, it is a big week for Matt. The 20th season of uh, English T20 is about to begin. I presume you remember that first summer like it was yesterday? Yeah, well, yeah, that's a far old time ago, isn't it? I think uh, a lot of the a lot of the players who we, we you named are actually in our, older than the English I am just about yeah. A lot of the players that we named in <laughs> our all time eleven have um, have been mentioning the fact that you know it suddenly feels like quite a long time ago when they were first starting out in two thousand and three in uh, in Samut Patel and Ravi Bapara's case. But um, yeah, looking forward to to getting the uh, the big stuff started and then the small matter of uh, some England men's Test cricket to come. Yes, and we will we will major on that. Um, probably down the line, we will talk more about um, England's new white ball coach. Another announcement in the interim, uh, Miller. That was Matthew Mott. Not one of the more high profile names uh, being bandied around, but could be a shrewd pick. Indeed, I'm fascinated. It's uh, you know what they've gone for there is a guy who is used to winning lots and improving a team that's already very good and uh, you know obviously talking about the, the Australia women's team who are pound for pound uh, the best sports team in the world arguably at the moment and um, so you know they, they, I, I rather like the, the way they thought there they, they figured he's, he's clearly got something about the ability to keep inspiring players who could you know, otherwise get complacent and think you know we're, we're the best in the world. But no, they they seem to find a way to keep getting better under his tutelage. So um, might be a good fit. Um, but uh, we will come to more of that in due course, I dare say. Yeah, Matt Matt has written about what to expect uh, for the site, and um, I'm sure he's looking forward to his trip to Amsterdam in a few weeks. Purely for the reasons of seeing Matthew Mott's new white. Yeah, I, I simply can't wait to see what um, what Mr. Mott does to England's teams. But yeah, I, I agree with Miller. I think it's a, a shrewd pick. Um, has a pre-existing relationship with Brendan McCullum, which is is definitely helps given the the tension that we saw last time England um, tried a split coaching model back in 2012 to 14. I think it was um, and. Yeah, um, interesting. I think too that he signed a, f- a four-year contract, which means he will be tasked with managing the the transition from the sort of so-called golden generation um, into whatever comes after that. Yes, well, uh, Matty Motts, as as um, Baz knows him, I'm sure, is well equipped for the <laughs> job. Um, 
let's get our teeth into the tests. Uh, it's so far, it's not quite uh, been a, a Doctor Who style complete rene- regeneration. With nine members of the thirty-man squad having been involved out in the Caribbean, and two of the other four, James Anderson and Stuart Broad, um, have been around since uh, almost as long as the TARDIS itself. But uh, uh, Miller, <laughs> there were a couple of couple of interesting names in the mix, and I suppose uh, an understandably conservative selection, given that um, the coach, the new coach Brendan McCullum, <laughs> hasn't even arrived in the country yet. Yeah, I think so. I, I, the thing that intrigues me most, I think, is the fact is it's a selection for two tests only, a three-test series, but this is very much two tests. So you've got uh, basically the first test will be one of observation, you suspect, from McCollum. Here is the best players or the guys we think are the best players over the recent past. So, as you say, eight, I think, of the squad who played in in the defeat in Grenada, plus the two guys who missed out. Obviously, the two as now new boys, um, uh, Harry Brook and and, uh, and Matthew Potts, and um, yeah, I, I think it, I think it kind of makes sense to just, just take a look at what what English cricket has done with these guys, see whether there's anything that can immediately be changed about the way they they they've gone about the game. I mean, looking particularly at Zach Crawley at the top of the innings, who I suppose is the the big anomaly in a summer where people have been scoring runs for fun. He's being com- comprehensively upstaged by Ben Compton and every every turn for, for for Kent at the moment. I mean Compton there he is inches away from thousand runs before May, and I think um, uh, I think Crawley got an eighty in the last last outing, but that's about as good as he's got all summer. So um, he is an anomaly, but. Again, he's also the golden child. Everyone thinks that he, all he needs is someone who can just harness his natural talent and feed it through through the mincer and come out as a, as England's next great batter. And maybe that's what McCullum can do with a with a mindset shift. So he's probably the he's probably the key ingredient in that in that side. And and obviously Matt Matt's spoken to Ollie Pope as well, who's going to be coming in at number three, which is a fascinating promotion for him. Um, it smacks a little bit of what they did to him uh, on debut in uh, 2018 when they put him at number four against India, despite the fact he'd never batted that high at that stage uh, for Surrey. So, and, you know, the in-between miles have also used him as a wicketkeeper in, in New Zealand. So th- th- there is a history of, of sort of m- messing around a bit with with Ollie Pope. But again, they've been very clear in, in their reasoning about this. Is like they think that Ollie Pope is a special talent and they want to give the special talent a special position in the side, number three, given the responsibility, run with it. Um, fascinating. So, yeah, as you say, it is a bit conservative in 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 so far as not a lot has changed since uh, their last outing, but already you can sense there's 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 mindset shifts going on, and so um, uh, we'll see what happens. And then, obviously, come uh, the Headingley Test in in late June, it'll be uh, full out total cricket and uh, baseball. But uh, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> Basball sounds like it might be uh, worth the entry fee. Um, presumably, Alex Lees will be sticking to what he knows. Um, Matt, he ha- he has actually been in reasonable uh, form for for Durham. Um, I mean, a, a Pope, I suppose, is is the the really interesting one. Um, you've written about that that leap of faith or otherwise, um, moving him up to number three. He has scored runs. Um, he always does for Surrey. Um, what are we expecting from him in this uh, latest incarnation, do you think? Well, it's a very good question. I, I, I was just thinking back, um, I went on to the Oval and spoke to him yesterday to the fact that it's, I think, nearly four years since he made his test debut at, at number four when he was out of position at the mm. time, which feels um, quite strange. But yeah, I think um, 
I think it'll be very interesting to see him and him and Crawley in the same top three, not least because of the fact that they're at very similar stages of their career. I think they're both 24. They're both averaging sort of uh, mid to high 20s in Test cricket, whereas uh, I think their their sort of ceiling would would be somewhere in the 40s um, as far as English cricket is concerned. Um, they've both played similar number of Test matches. They've, they've sort of come into the side and had a run in the side at similar times. Um, and here they are walking out and sort of with uh, with Rob Key's words ringing in their ears about him him saying how desperate he is to unlock their talent. Um, I suppose the, the big difference between the two of them is that whereas Pope has always um, scored runs of fun in county cricket, especially at the Oval, I think he it's, I think his average has dipped slightly in, into something like 91 at the Oval <laughs> um, in first class cricket. Um, but on the flip side, as Miller alludes to, um, Crawley has found it a lot tougher and he's always been someone who's been picked because he looks like such a good player. Um, and, you know, it's it, I think it's inarguable that there have been um, some very compelling innings from Crawley in Test cricket. Obviously, the 2-6-7 stands out, but then you think um, he made an unbelievably good 50 at Ahmedabad uh, about 12 months ago. Um, he played a couple of very eye-catching innings in the Ashes, I think particularly the one on recall. Um, and then went and scored 100 in the Caribbean as well. So the, the, the big question with Crawley seems to be one of temperament, I think, um, about whether he can put away the, the booming cover drive, whether he's suited to opening the batting in Test cricket. Um, and I suppose he'll probably be the more um, attacking of the two openers, given what we saw from Alex Lee so far, which is sort of more about accumulation and crease occupation. Um and then Pope, I suppose the, um, the 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 big question is probably more technical, um, given uh, his career to date. I think he he admitted to me yesterday that his uh, brain was probably a bit scrambled by the end of the Ashes, and he was um, sort of trying to trying to face Australia's fast bowlers in the heat of battle while thinking, "Where's my head? Where are my feet? Where's my back coming down?" And said that the big change he's tried to have this year is to um, sort of set himself up in a particular way and then stop thinking about it and focus on the basics of batting. So watching the ball and um, sort of trusting his muscle memory, I suppose, to, to take over. Um, obviously, it's, it's one thing saying that stuff in an interview and something quite different actually uh, facing up to Trent Bolt and Tim Southey at 10 for one after four overs. But um, yeah, I, f- I feel like um, those two are going to be two guys who th- their progress will quite possibly be a benchmark of how England performed this summer under... Um, McCullum and Stokes especially when you consider that having built built for so long for a series down the line there's there's not the same uh, sort of medium term goal and Rob Key in particular has spoken about just focusing on winning the next test and evaluating progress that way rather than thinking about long term objectives and getting caught up in what's going to happen in 18 months two years time I mean, England have been uh, looking at uh, finding a regular number three for a long time and they've been looking at finding openers for even longer. But I mean, sort of since Jonathan Trott, um, Miller, um, New Zealand, um, it's five, six, seven years ago that uh, Gary Balance was uh, uh, given a good working over um, by the likes of Bolton Southey. Um, I mean, it's it's going to seem a little bit odd if Pope, Pope struggles, isn't it, with Root then at number four? I, I mean, Stokes has clearly made a, a a call there that Root is going to bat in his best position. But um, <laughs> when if he's the best batsman in the team and you're sending out Ollie Pope uh, to get uh, you know that that um, trial by new ball swing um, and, and fricasseed <laughs> once again, it, uh, I mean. 
it could quickly unravel that that plan. It really could. I mean, it's 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 a weird one, isn't it? I mean, I must admit, when when Pope when sorry when Stokes said that he was going to go back to number six, I must admit my heart sunk a little bit when I heard that. Um, it's my my views changed on that a little bit now that I know that Pope the, the I keep saying Pope Root is moving to number four again because uh, briefly it looked like you're going to have Root at three, Stokes at six, and they're probably not going to see each other. There's going to be so much carnage in between that there'd be ships that pass in the night. You lose that opportunity for the the two best players in the side to unite. But I think I think what they what Stokes in particular it seems to be doing he's doubling down on the fact that you know number six is actually his best position to be the player he is best at, which is a counter-attacking batter rather than a guy who's, you know, he can get a little bit monomanic when it when he's when he's forced to play with an exceptionally straight bat and dig sides out of trouble. I think he's kind of relying on the fact that, you know, we'll probably be in a bit of trouble, but give these boys some license knowing that the, the heavy artillery is further down the order. That, that's my that's my theory about it. You, you know, Root obviously prefers four. Uh, he went up to three on sufferance. He did a right there, clearly on very flat pitches in the Caribbean. But if you want the best players on the side to play their best cricket, give them the positions they think they can do it from. And frankly, it's up to everyone else to, to fill in around them. I think I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that as, as a policy. I think number one, two, three has been such a... Uh, a nightmare for England for for a decade now. Frankly, um, you know, you had Alistair Cook shoring up for a bit, but you know, ever since Strauss and ever since Jonathan Trot, essentially those two pillars, when they disappeared at the, in the early 2010s, then um, England have been floundering for replacements ever since. And so, trying to trying to replace them with or, or shove everyone up to fill the void at the top, rather than just rely on them being as good as they can be in the middle order. And don't forget, you've got Johnny Bairstow as well, uh, probably, probably at number five. Um, that is, you know, that's quite a quite a solid foundation for, for England. And, and again, it, it kind of relates back to what um, Brendan McCullum did in, um, in that 2015 Lords Test, which uh, I, I've said before is probably my favourite Test match I've ever seen live. Uh, it just had everything. And, and it was... As I say, Basball in with 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 us, um, with um, New Zealand in mind at that, at that occasion, but actually it's going to be Basball with England in mind now. And what he did in that game, particularly memorably, was on the final day. It was an incredible game where obviously England collapsed to thirty for four, I think, on the first day, and then then New Zealand were four hundred for three in reply, and somehow lost. But on the final day, I think they were twelve for three. England ripped through the top order. And McCullum demoted himself. He had initially been a little bit further up the order. He pushed himself back. And he said in the press conference, it was so good to have a second wave of attack. A second wave of attack chasing 350 <laughs> from 12 for three. I mean, that's outstanding thinking. I, I love it. And this, again, you know, if, you, if you're backloading your lineup, and don't forget, it, I, I don't think it will be long if this is the way they're going to go before Josh Butler is back in the reckoning. So you've you got Root, Bearstow, Stokes, Butler is your three to seven. Suddenly you, 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 you've, got, you've got quite, a, quite an artillery going on there. So it actually, you know... Whatever happens from one to three is almost a bonus. Those guys could conceivably free them up to play better cricket, knowing that you know what we can have a go here because we've got we've got guys coming up behind us who are the goods. Um, that's my theory. Um, as I say, it's all too soon to 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 presume that's how it's going, how it's going to pan out. But if it's a case of switching mindset, and frankly, everything that everyone has said so far since McCollum entered the room has been about yeah, we just need a new mindset. If that's the mindset they're going to go for, and frankly, why wouldn't it be? Because essentially, it's the mindset that's made the white ball team so good. Um, it could be fascinating. Bring it on. 
Ferdinand Fock has, has nothing on uh, <laughs> Brendan McCullum. Um, a couple of the, the, the names that were uh, overlooked, I suppose, um, a couple of them who have batted number three in recent times as well. I mean, Dan Lawrence has been injured, albeit that he then came back and scored 100 for Essex, but it seems to have uh, exacerbated that that hamstring problem. Um, David Milan has been in the runs for Yorkshire, uh, although not batting at number three. Uh, he, he was in that slot for England during the Ashes. Um, but one one exciting pick who uh, we're, we've not mentioned here and we're perhaps not expecting to get into the 11, but is is Harry Brook, um, Matt, the leading run scorer in Division uh, 1. No, he's not the leading run scorer. That's Ben Compton, I think. But uh, <laughs> he's got 840 runs at 140. So pretty solid. Um, I'm not sure he's been out for anything sort of less than 40 this, this season. Um, he is a player that we've kind of you know, uh, will have heard of. He was capped uh, in the T20 side um, in uh, in the Caribbean over the winter, um, and arguably, sort of uh, slotting him in at number five between Root and Stokes would be quite a nice place to to debut. But I mean, it does seem as if Bearstow is um, ahead of him in the queue, albeit he's coming straight from the IPL. Um, but Brook on the face of it, has the minerals for Test cricket and is going to be one of those players that is going to get used over the course of the summer. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I mean, it's obviously been a very high-scoring start to the, the championship mm. season and Brooke has been coming in generally sort of number five, number six and um, Yorkshire have had runs on the board. He's had the opportunity to attack. He scored his runs very quickly. Um, so it, I suppose it's worth bearing those things in mind, but then the, the runs are pretty extraordinary in terms of what he's put up. Um, I just say averaging over 100 Um and yeah, I think it's it, it, it maybe not necessarily the guy that they would have um, had in mind at the start of the season to pick in the squad for the first test. But I think, as, as Rob Key said, they've looked at county form and um, effectively plucked out the, um, the the outstanding uncut batter and bowler and, in uh, Brook and uh, Matthew Potts. Um, I think maybe a hint of Stokes' influence in both those selections. Stokes has obviously played with um, Potts at, at Durham this season and they, Potts has spoken about um, the fact that he's quite enjoyed having that influence, speaking to him at mid-off um, about how to how to set a particular batter up, that sort of thing. And Brooke, um, albeit pretty short, um, overlap with Stokes in the 100 last summer mm. and Stokes was pretty keen to talk him up after uh, one of his innings, I think in, in I think in Northern Superchargers' first game last summer. Um so yeah, clearly two two um, players with high ceilings, um, and probably I I think Potts will probably get an opportunity in the first two tests. Just when you bear in mind that they're back to back and uh, they've only picked a thirteen man squad, so I wouldn't be at all surprising to see him get a go at some point. I think Brooke, it seems like um, from everything Rob Key has said, might be a bit later in the summer. But um, you know, as things stand, Ben Folks actually has quite an interesting series ahead of him where he's he definitely didn't make himself undroppable in the Caribbean, but they've they've shown some faith and given him the opportunity to um, to have a bit of a run in the side now. Um, I think he might finally get to play his first home test match mm-hmm. barring any more sort of slips in, in the dressing room in his <laughs> socks or anything like that. Um, but you could definitely imagine a world in which um, either Johnny Bairstow takes the gloves back or um, if McCullum fancies a sort of Ed Smith style um, move, he, he decides that it's too... Um, it's it's too difficult to ignore uh, Joss Butler's case for selection, which obviously will be based mainly on white ball form because I, mm. I don't imagine he's going to play much championship cricket um, over the next few months. Um, but yeah, it's so so I think Brick will probably get an opportunity at some stage of the summer. Um, but yeah, by the sounds of things, probably won't be in the first test. I was going to say it's a, a vote of confidence for county cricket, but it's really a vote of confidence for the Northern Superchargers, <laughs> as you've mentioned. Um, 
<laughs> uh, Miller, the, the bowling um, was uh, perhaps a little bit of an easier uh, talking point for the selection panel uh, because there are so few <laughs> fit fast bowlers uh, going around. So, and ironically, two of the fittest are two of the oldest in, in uh, Anderson and Broad, um, the sort of much heralded comeback uh, under under Stokes' captaincy. Um, Craig Overton is uh, is retained, uh, having played in the Caribbean. He is... Um, He's taken 26 wickets at 16.26 this season in, in Division 1. And given, as Matt's touched on, the sort of uh, some of the pitches that have been out there, uh, although I think he took 11, 12, 13 at, on a real dicey Taunton uh, <laughs> surface um, uh, back in April. But, uh, it, yeah, he's he's been in, in form for his county. Um, he has uh, shown sort of glimpses of that at test level, uh, and he can bat a little bit, which possibly puts him... Um, uh, ahead uh, of some other candidates and uh, um, we'll see him in the side at number eight um and and then Potts is your is your wild card your backup uh, as the series goes on yeah I mean it, I mean Overton's a fascinating one isn't it I mean I thought I thought in in retrospect he did all right in the Caribbean <clears> which you know it sounds weird to say given given everything that was said but uh in the first test first test when he and Wokes were were obviously the new ball pairing both of them were guilty of sort of playing playing completely into into West Indies hands by bowling too full. Uh, they were completely obsessed with 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 those lines that came out of Adelaide that that, that Broad and Anderson bowled too short and therefore obviously you're going to go full and aim for swing. Both of them got got massacred on the full length and. Uh, Overton, to his credit, actually did did rectify this, albeit it was hard to see the the difference given how flat the pitches were. But when he pulled his length back and hit the deck hard, he, he's he, you know his natural length is short length. He's he's actually rather more effective when he's when he's battering the pitch in that sort of workhorse style, and he he can get, he can cause hassle from from unconventional lengths in that in that sense. So if he's trusted to be be the natural bowler he is, rather than you know trying trying to over overstrain on 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 the swing. Then you know maybe he's got a chance, but it does feel a little bit like they're, they're scraping the barrel for fit bowlers. I mean, obviously Ollie Robinson, we haven't even touched on mm. on what on earth's going on with him, but I mean he's he's all over the place at the moment. So hopefully he'll get a chance to to find some sort of form and fitness um, in the county select eleven this week when he gets his second outing in a row against New Zealand. Uh, but obviously he's had toothache and indigestion and, and, and back spasms. I mean, everything you can think of has gone wrong for him. Uh, but he's still, as we know from what we saw last year and over the winter, he's still a very, very good bowler when he, when he's fit. Uh, too many bowlers, unfortunately, at the moment are not fit for for reasons of stress fractures. And um, I mean, you you can't you can't you can't make it up really. Every single bowler, pretty much, who who went near the England squad in the Caribbean is now got a stress fracture including Joffre Archer who's only bowling in the nets occasionally I mean it makes you wonder what on earth they do to them every time, every time they turn up um, I have I personally have a theory I mean it's only a theory because all these things are but um, I think uh, I don't know how, how many years it's been since um, ECB introduced its bowling limits for junior cricket I think it's uh, what is it, what is it from the 13s it's it's six overs or five over spells and 30 overs per session in the nets is all you're allowed in two sessions a week um 
I mean, when I were young, I mean, I, you know. You should be back down the pits, is that what you're saying? Back down the pits, just, just bowl. Just, just run in and bowl. Up, up I mean, a chimney. A, and- you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know. There, there, I read a piece, of uh, Press Association did, did some interview the other day talking about um, the, the impact of mm. lockdown and how, how, how that had caused weakening. Not bowling. Uh, not bowling during lockdown had, had caused crucial weakness in the back. I, I don't know. There are all manner of theories. Overwork, underwork, but you can't deny that the fact that two guys who predate any sort of ECB um, directives, Broad and Anderson, are the two fittest bowlers still in county cricket. It helps, of course, they are very much white uh, white ball um, ex white ball players. They don't get sucked into into the into the, the the circuit in that respect. So they are they are fitter and fresher for the red ball game than anyone else. But um, uh, very, very easy decision to bring them back. Uh, in spite of that, they haven't got a wealth of uh, wickets this this summer. I mean, obviously Anderson got root out, which was a, a, a notable scalp, and um, Broad getting Sham Masood for a duck after Masood basically scored two hundred in every other innings was again a <laughs> nice reminder that, uh, that that class will out. Um, I don't know. It's it, it, it's it's odd as well. You you do suspect that one of the main reasons why Broad and Anderson didn't go to the Caribbean was to make it easier for the incoming coach to say, well, look, they're not in the squad. I don't have to be the guy on my four-year contract who's going to have to manage four years of will they, won't they, of Anderson and Broad refusing to retire and and, and <laughs> refusing to be dropped. Uh, but now, of course, his first act is to bring them straight back into the squad at the hest of his new captain, Ben Stokes. So we're back to square one with, with that argument. So you never know. Brought, um, Brendan McCullum's tenure could yet be, uh, will they, won't they, when and when will Broad and Anderson retire? But um, I also liked what, what he said the other day. Is like that I think he's done with uh, rest and rotation. He's basically going to bowl these guys into the ground. Bowl them, bowl them into retirement if needs be, but just get everything out of them. It's the only option left to them, isn't it? Frankly, I, 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 I think I think it's perfect. I think it's absolutely perfect. Just, just say you, you know what? If you guys are genuinely the two best players we've got left, we've got a massive itinerary coming up. Just play every game, and if you break down, and that's it. Well, so be it. You, well, you, Jimmy, are forty. You, you, Broadie, are thirty-six. Um, thanks. Um, it's been great, but there's no point in just keeping them on ice and holding them back and not not getting you know to get, having this jam tomorrow attitude that England took all the way through 2021. Um, you know, jam tomorrow they end up with just getting squashed, didn't they? It was it was it was it, it wasn't it wasn't pretty and it, it wasn't effective and you know took their eyes off the ball fatally. It was around this time last year, of course, that Chris Silverwood came out with that with that ridiculous statement in his in his first press <laughs> first. Um, Squad selection saying that this this summer of playing India and New Zealand, the two best sides in the world, will be perfect preparation for the Ashes. I mean, Jesus Christ! <laughs> Can you ever wish for a more hostage to fortune uh, statement in your life? Um, there's none of that. Uh, that went, it went well. Uh, it went really well, but there, there's going to be none of that anymore. It's going to be we are England are playing the best team in the world according to the ICC, <clears throat> the World Test Champions in three tests. Then they're playing. The best team in the world, according to themselves, India, in one <laughs> test, and then they got South Africa, who tend to beat them uh, more often than not in England. So uh, uh, there's absolutely no time for um, sitting back and waiting to, you know, save your save your efforts for the next game. Just just yeah, splurt it all out now and uh, see what happens. Um, and <laughs> given the schedule, no opportunity for rest <laughs> over the next uh, few months. Um, on the subject of 
knackering fast bowlers, I suppose. But Matt, one of the one of the subplots of the build up to this um, summer um, has been pitches, uh, and you know, obviously winter of discontent always brings out these um, issues. That the, there seems to have been a pretty clear directive that uh, pitches had to be better, um, bowlers have to work harder for their wickets, batsmen. Uh, to work less hard for their runs but you know we'll learn the skills to play long innings and, and so on and so on and this will benefit the test team um i suppose we are we will soon find out well at least uh, on the sh- in the short term uh whether there's been any uh, improvement there um but it i mean as our colleague um david hops has written it's not universally popular this this idea that games could go four days and come nowhere near producing a winner mm. um, and then there has been a, a, a an extra thing to stir into the mix in that the this batch of Duke's balls appears to be a, a real rogue one um, mm. Broad in his uh, column at the weekend described it as uh, like bowling with a rolled up piece of plasticine um, and I think there's suggestions that they're sort of going to hand pick some decent ones for, for the test series um, but yeah, so th- th- this is all um, all setting up nicely for England to uh, uh, get bowled out for 150 <laughs> on first day at Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's quite a, it's a typical long-standing debate, isn't it, about county cricket and what the pitches are and everything. I think the the problem is, as Hopsy wrote, actually, firstly, there's been so many variables that have been changed this year that you've actually had a completely different um, style of cricket played in the championship to the season before effectively because I think I think it, the average runs per wicket in the championship was something like 27-28 last summer and I think it's been 35 or 36 this year which is a huge difference um, in terms of sort of percentage increase and it has meant that games are completely different effectively and you've you know um, we obviously see everything that players say after days um, days play in the championship and a lot of the time in sort of drawn fourth day ones players are saying well we should have gone home at lunchtime what was the point in any of that we bowled some part time spin um, because we had to save our fast bowlers um, it, my personal take on it is I think that the, the one of the problems at the moment is that you have um, a sort of a, a style of county cricket that should resemble test cricket more closely in terms of the pitches and um, if you look at the sort of bowlers that are thriving in Division One, it's been bowlers like uh, Matthew Potts, who's you know clearly got a bit of pace about him, even if he's not expressed. I think he's sort of mid to high eighties. Um, then Hassan Ali, who's a Test match bowler with Pakistan, Matt Parkinson, who's a leg spinner. Um, so it's the sort of players that England are looking to produce. Um, so I suppose that's a that's a positive on that front. But I think that the issue is that um, if you look at team schedules everyone's played at least six games and some seven in the space of seven weeks, which means that teams are constantly having to think about squad depth, bowler workloads, that sort of thing. Um, and while in a test match on the final day, you can afford to sort of bowl your fast bowler into the ground if you need to, because there's another guy who can come in. If you have one prized asset at your county who can bowl high 80s mile an hour or something like that, um, are you really going to risk an unlikely win on the final day of a, of a game that looks destined for a draw and then know that you might not have him for a game that starts literally four days later um, in the following following round of games. I'm not sure you are. And I think that's been a, a, a theme throughout the season. Um, I think we've seen that bowlers have struggled with with high workloads. I think the guys that have played back-to-back-to-back-to-back games have sort of their performances have tailed off towards the end. And then you look at a team like, for example, um, Essex rolled Lancashire at Old Trafford this week. Um, I think they beat them by an innings and some in the end. Mm. Um, Lancashire were coming off their, that, that was their sixth game in six weeks, whereas Essex were coming off a rest week. Mm. So no surprise that um, Sam Cook, fresh out of the packet, you know, wrapped in cotton wool for a week and on the beach, 
um, and Simon Harmer, who again had had quite a busy um, start to the season and then had had some time to freshen up. No surprise that they then thrived against uh, a Lancashire side that, by all accounts, were, were pretty exhausted. So my personal very fine side of Essex side, as well, <laughs> of course, not to, not to discredit, um, you know, multiple trophy-winning Essex's quality or anything like that. But my personal view on that is that um, that if, if this style of Championship cricket is what people want, and I'm not convinced it's necessarily what spectators want all the time, because it has meant some pretty drab uh, games mm. in early season, as Hopsy wrote in his column. Um, my personal opinion is that they are going to have to cut the number of games in the season. And I think there is definitely some appetite from some counties to move towards three divisions of six, which would mm. mean 10 games a season, would mean members getting grumpy because they saw fewer days of cricket in the summer. Um, and there would obviously be, be spin-offs and repercussions on that. But I think that you need to have a schedule that um, actually allows people to play those championship games in the way that, pe- that um, you know Rob Key, for example, wants them to, rather than saying, well, we're going to give you exactly the same schedule that you had on on nibbly green seamers where you had extra rest days because games were done in two and a half days. Um, I, I I don't think the current system is working. And I think that, that there is definitely some level of discontent from, from counties as to how the first seven rounds have gone because it's just, it's just not quite worked. And there's been too many draws, too much dead cricket, um, too much sort of wasted time, I suppose. We need to establish what county members would prefer um, more games that end in two days or fewer games that <laughs> go for four days. I mean, Miller, I suppose something, something about this is, is, is chicken and egg. If you want to create the conditions to produce 90-mile-an-hour fast bowlers and, and um, ripping leg spinners, uh, you have to play in those conditions for a bit before they turn up. Yes, I mean you also have to pick the leg spinner when he starts proving that, he, that he's worth being picked. But that's 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 a, Lancashire at least. Are, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know. It's it, it's curious, isn't it? I, there are several games I've been obviously down at Chelmsford a lot this season. I've been several games down there that have felt as though either they've been lacking one key ingredient, be it Simon Harmer. Say I think the Kent game um, was five hundred plays five hundred. I think if Simon Harmer had been playing on that deck. He was still away with South Mm. Africa at the time. Had he been playing on that deck, it might have been 500 plays 350 and then suddenly you're into a shootout in the the final day. And alternatively, you know, a lot of them are quite well set up in test match terms. You know, if it Mm. it was a five-day game for most Mm. of these, it actually, they'd be fascinating. So, (laughs) so in in some, in some ways, it's, it's kind of a, you're falling between two stools. It's like, it's clear that the that there's not quite there's just not enough quality among the bowlers and goes back to Matt's point about the the overworking mm. of the of the assets you can't use those assets every day for for six rounds in a row in a row but equally um you've got to, you've got to work with what you've got I, I've always been com- confused by the by the notion that that batters benefit from playing on flat decks I mean I mean being 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 that I've never batted for more than about five overs in my life I, I you know I, I'm not one to, not qualified to talk here but you know I, you haven't I, played on good enough pitches well clearly yes clearly but I, I don't know it, 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 it strikes me as, as, a, as a strange way to prove that you'll be you'll be ready to, to, to front up to Pat Cummins when when you know just just blocking it out uh, hours on end to uh, snore your way through four days of a, of a flat deck but I don't know um, each their own yeah, it, so it's, it's, some it's, batters it's been... don't like getting hit on the ankle by Darren Stevens do they that's the... <laughs> <laughs> that's the main problem I, I don't know it, it, I, I, I agree with Hopti's take it, it has been it has been underwhelming but uh, you know I guess the proof in the proof of the pudding will come first 
with the tests, see whether any of these guys are going in with with any sort of well, obviously Zach Crawley won't, but some some guys will go in with with the sense that yeah, okay, I've I've done the hard yards here, I'm I'm ready for this, and then come the second half of the summer, you know, when 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 we see the you know hopefully the sun stays out, the pitches do start to dry and perhaps crack and perhaps turn and offer the offer the the different conditions that that we're being set up for, um, maybe maybe you're onto something, but but yeah, the the, the trouble with I think Hopsey's line was the, the, the you know you, a science experiment. You change one thing at a time. Mm. You know, is it the balls? Is it the pitches? Is it is it is it a new mindset? Is it this that the other? It's really hard to pin down quite what it is about Kenny Cricket this this season. But uh, it's been um, intermittently dull. Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it almost sounds like a compliment to me. Um, <laughs> we'll know who to blame uh, if it all goes pear shaped in a couple of weeks. Anyway, um, Matt. Uh, New Zealand will come in as favourites for this series. Uh, they didn't have the the best winter um, or summer in their case back home, um, and are actually sixth in the World Test Championship uh, table. But they're the, the, the title holders. Um, but they're, they're, I mean, they're not uh, they're not had the, the perfect preparations either for this mm. uh, tour. IPL inevitably impinges on uh, things, so there'll be players turning up late. Um, they uh, their warm up game in Hove had two full days rained off, um, and they've had some COVID positives as well. Mm. Um, so thankfully, doesn't seem to have spread. Uh, but Henry Nichols, one of those who's had to isolate, has also had a, a, a calf strain from uh, on arrival. So um, there are they, they don't quite arrive in in the same formidable shape as they did last summer when they obviously um, beat England one nil, but it was sort of. T- 2-0 in spirit and, uh, <laughs> uh, and and then beat India in Southampton. Yeah, I think I think I would agree that this is probably a better time for England to be playing New Zealand than, than last summer was, um, especially when you bear in mind that those those tests last summer weren't actually in the original schedule and were sort of a, a money-spinning exercise for the ECB. So to invite over, at the time, the, the, the best team in the world, pretty much undisputably, I think, at that point, um, although, yeah, in, India obviously ran them pretty close in the... WTC final um, yeah it, it, I, th- I think especially when you consider for example the retirements of BJ Watling and Ross Taylor um, there's just a sort of a hint of transition mm-hmm. um, particularly Kane, Kane Williamson's not played a test since I think the India tour they had after, immediately after the T20 World Cup he's had an elbow problem he's been horribly out of nick at the IPL as well um, so I, I, I think there is a, a sense potentially that New Zealand aren't as strong as they were last year. But I think the, um, the flip side of that is that unlike what New Zealand would have been 10 years ago, if you strip out one of their top players, and I think they showed this last summer when you consider, for example, that, that Edgebaston test they've won where um, you had Will Young came in and scored 80. I think Matt Henry came in and took quite a few wickets, maybe seven or eight in the match. Mm. Um, I didn't think, play that game. Yeah, I think, I think they've managed to... Um, create much more of a squad. They have depth that they wouldn't once have had. Um, all part of the sort of long-term plan, ironically, of course, under under McCullum and Mike Hessen originally. Um, but yeah, they, they've invested heavily in their A-team programme. I had a chat with Will Young a few weeks ago and he was saying he feels as though he's benefited a lot from the fact that um, you know, he's been he's been with and around the squad over the past two or three years, and even before he'd made his debut, he felt as though it, it wasn't an environment he was um, overawed walking into and meeting Ross Taylor or Kane Williamson for the first time two days out from a Test debut. It was 
um, something that felt like a gradual process and he was ready by the time he got there. Um, another guy in the squad, Ratchin Ravindra, I think had, I think he played one of his first first class. I think his first class debut might have been for New Zealand A or something along those lines. But they, he was a, he was a, a guy of high potential that they plucked out of domestic cricket and put in the system nice and early to make sure he was um, ready for this sort of thing. So I think it. Um, I, I, I agree with the the overall analysis that the, the preparation might not be perfect, especially um, you know Rajasthan are pretty deep in the IPL, which means Trent Bolt will be coming in off. Um, firstly, a long IPL season, and secondly, very few Red Bull overs. Mm. Um, you know, it, again, Saudi and Conway I think might play in in the game this week, but um, might uh, unlikely to have had a huge amount of preparation before the the first test of the summer. But um, whereas those would be major issues, say ten years ago, I think those are those are things that New Zealand have built up the depth um, to be able to to cope with. Um, in the past however many years mm. um, one other thing to mention in dispatches I'm not sure it will affect uh, the England's chances or morale too much but um, Tom Harrison's departure as uh, as chief executive adding to the sort of sense of drift at the ECB the process to uh, find a new chairman or chair has also stalled um, I mean it's clearly more important that they get the, the playing side um, back on the rails but this is sort of symptomatic of the way things have been over this winter uh, for the ECB, yes, indeed. I mean, uh, I mean, he's been he's been almost effectively out of the building since since the ashes. Really, I mean, it's been an open secret that, that he would be leaving sooner or later. I think his actual departure time took everyone a little bit by surprise. It was uh, given largely because of, you know the lack of a chairman, uh, the internal the quest to find a replacement uh, uh, for you know losing 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 the chair back in October and still haven't, still haven't replaced a man who would technically fire him so um yeah he's, he fell on his sword in the end um i don't know I, I i have deeply mixed views about about harrison i think uh you know a lot of what he tried to do was well-intentioned i think even the hundred is well-intentioned in in concept i think i think he he has he's had the right idea all along that uh you know english cricket needed to Break out of its um, its bubble of, of self interest, and you know with the, the the racism scandal that has blown up in recent months and effectively scorched him on his way out was very much the flip side of of the argument that Harrison had been been espousing for his entire seven years that you know if we don't try to broaden our horizons for this game we will end up managing decline I think was his was his favourite statement on that and you know. The horizons are now being broadened um, through uh, DCMS hearings as as well as everything else. So, um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the worms that are wriggling out of English cricket are part are coming out of the can that he cranked open. And whether that's a good or a bad thing, um, you can't deny it's it's. A, I think it's a necessary thing. Uh, so, you know, a lot of what he tried to achieve with English cricket was bring it into the 21st century. I think it had been very much stuck in the 19th and never quite made it to the 20th in the first place, you know, with, with the way the, the county structure was set up and the Articles Association that he memorably got re, repurposed in, in, in creating the 100 has actually changed the way that English cricket can now operate um, in the short term for the worse. And I think one of the reasons why his position became untenable is, you know, essentially by... by, by um, changing the constitution of the ECB he he made the ECB completely defunct you know essentially the ECB was the counties now the counties are too weak 
to prop up the ECB. So what is the ECB? It's just it's just a board full of people who can't necessarily be boosted out. They're like, they're like the British government, frankly. Um, so, you know, <laughs> you're, you're relying on people to do the right thing and, and that's not always not always um, uh, forthcoming in, in high, high office. Um, and he did do the right thing in the end. He's fallen on his sword, albeit um, a few months after he's perhaps uh, pocketed a takeout, but, the, you know, that's, that's, uh, that was all written into, into, his, into his contract. So yes, that's, that's fair game. What comes next? I have no idea. I mean, we've got Claire Connor is is in position, and good luck to her. But you know, the, already there are questions about uh, the, the 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 various other cans of worms that she brings, given that she's pretty much wearing every hat in English cricket, including MCC. So uh, you know, there, there, there's there's all manner of conflicts of interest that, that that come with that. And again, this speaks to a fact that cricket is almost shrunk to a point where. The only people who can run it are already running something else in the game. Uh, it, 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 the game needs to regrow, and um, and that I suppose is you know reinflating the balloon of English cricket is going to be the the task of whatever comes next. But uh, yeah, for the moment the ECB is not fit for purpose, and that is not entirely an ideal legacy for Tom Harrison. But no. um, you can't complain. You can't deny he tried to to change the game for the better. Um, the fact he failed doesn't necessarily take away from the, the efforts he put in, if that makes any sort of sense. Well, as much sense as anything in English cricket ever does, <laughs> I think. Um, and what does come next um, immediate, in immediate terms is is the uh, Vitality Blast, uh, Matt. Talking about dragging the game into the 21st century, that, that's where this has always been. Um, there are murmurings of discontent there, nevertheless, uh, around ticket sales and so on. Um, talk of the, the hundred cannibalising its audience. But um, yeah, it's about to start uh, this week on Thursday night. Um, all systems go. You're ready for blast off. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it is a very interesting season for the, for the blast. Um, when you consider the, this, this is kind of the first year, I would, I would say, of, of both competitions, the blast and the hundred being in full swing because... Last year, for the majority of the blast, it was played behind either behind. Um, I don't think it was fully behind closed doors, but sort of twenty five percent caps, fifty percent caps on um, attendance figures. So it was kind of difficult to judge to what extent there was appetite for both competitions. Whereas this year provides quite a lot more of a, I, I guess a, um, and it, it, I suppose the acid test as to whether that there, there is. Um, there is genuine interest to sustain two short form competitions in men's cricket between uh, the end of May running through till what the start of September for the hundred. Um, I, I think from 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 what you hear, the ticket sales haven't been as good as usual potentially for the counties. But again, this is one of those strange things where you have a lot of different variables because some people are looking at the ticket prices for the blast and saying, well, those are too high. Some people are saying the blast ticket prices are absolutely fine but the hundreds are too low because the ECB wants to save face um so some people think the hundreds are low because they want to improve accessibility to the game uh then uh, you know you have because of the fact that blast window has been squeezed you have home games on unglamorous nights of the week so you know it's difficult for Glamorgan to sell a Monday night game in Cardiff um at, at reasonable prices and sort of make it make it worth everyone's while um and yeah it, it will be very interesting as well to see on, on i suppose on the playing side of things um the, the sense i've got so far is that the, the blast has probably if anything benefited from the hundred um on that side of things because for example you know surrey have signed um two guys in sunil narayan and kyron pollard who have not played t20 cricket in england i think at all in narayan's case um and since 2011 in pollard's 
Um, but both of them were picked up by London teams in the hundreds, so are perfectly happy to come over and earn a few extra quid and play a few extra games um, for Surrey and the Blast. So I think on that side of things, um, the Blast is benefiting from the hundred, whether or not uh, the sort of much talked about new audience of the hundred actually buy Blast tickets um, remains to be seen. Uh, whether or not the Blast fans who didn't go to the Blast last summer because they were locked out and went to the hundred instead still go to both, whether they just go to one. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns, um, which will probably become slightly clearer over the next few months. But um, yeah, it will be um, it will be quite an interesting summer for the Blast, which I think has sort of been been uh, fighting for its survival to a certain extent, but then has also actually made quite big strides over the past few years. If you think about um, the the attendance figures in 2019 and uh, which was the last the last summer of full crowds, and the fact that it does seem to have, you know, I think I think especially in the case of some of the smaller counties, the the blast has become a massive focus. So you think of recent winners, um, obviously Notts were a, a big club in 2020, but aside from that, you had Worcester and Essex won it the two years before COVID, and then Kent won it last summer. You have the smaller clubs investing resources in it, fighting back, making it their big thing that they're going to promote. But is there still appetite for seven home games a season? Are they going to cut it down to five in the future? Um, lots of questions for Andrew Strauss and his panel to um, to think about over the next however many months and uh, yeah work out whether or not it's sustainable <laughs> and as ever there's um, the issues of uh, overseas tours being arranged at the last minute and that sort of thing a lot of comings and goings in the last uh, week in terms of signings uh, Shaheen Afridi is out now sadly um, Sussex have got four overseas players mm. to fill two slots in about 18 <laughs> different combinations Um but uh, quickly before we wrap up, uh, um, Matt Miller, who are your tips? Who are your picks? Who's, who's players to watch? Who's going to go all the way? It's a tricky one, that. I think um, I, I was looking at the, sort of having a cursory look at the squads and I think, um, I, I'm not sure which guys they're playing under these days, but I think Warwickshire slash the Bears slash the Birmingham Bears slash the Warwickshire somethings. Um, <laughs> I, they look like a, a strong team to me. Um, they've brought Paul Sterling in, who I, I always think is a pretty canny recruit um, in English T20 cricket, given his his record. And uh, in terms of a one to watch from them as well, they've got um, Jacob Bethel, who uh, sort of broke through as a, a star of the Under-19 World Cup for England. Um, has a contract in the 100, um, despite the fact he's barely played any T20 cricket professionally, I think, um, and has been opening the batting for the twos and scoring a lot of runs with uh, alongside Sterling. So I think that, that that definitely looks like quite an exciting combination if they end up going with it. Um, they might have Ollie Stone coming back to fitness later in the comp. Um, Henry Brooks is uh, fit again and, um, you know, express pace bowler as well. So... Uh, one of the few fit ones in the country, actually. You know, we'll probably be talking about him for a test squad before long. Um, but yeah, so so the the bears are the ones to watch for me. Emilio, you're presumably hoping Tom Kitten get a gig. Well, somewhere. absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was I was I was digging through um, digging through the archives. We're going to do a sort of retrospective twenty twenty year retrospective of of, of the uh, of the ups and downs of the blast. And I dug through uh, Wisden Cricket Monthly, and lo and behold. Look who wrote the match report for the finals day for Wisden Cricket Monthly in 2003. Some young me. cub. <laughs> so I, I don't even remember writing that. All I remember was my comic kitten from that day. Uh, but no, more broadly speaking, I mean, you know, I'm fascinated by the the holistic approach to English this English summer. And, you know, it comes back to what we were saying earlier about, the, about Brendan McCullum. We haven't really talked about Matthew Mott, but we'd have in passing. But the the the, the notion that the, there's going to be an attempt to mesh the way that English cricket operates at, 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 at 
international level. So the Red Bull team and the White Bull team, you can have Motti and, and Baz and, and Owen, and they're all going all gonna to have good old chin wagon and sing from the same same song sheet, I think was, was the phrase they used the other day. And so with that in mind, it, it, it's really interesting to look at, look sort of almost a tear down from the from the the stars in in international cricket i i begin to wonder you know looking at someone like ben duckett say who has been he, has, he hasn't been tearing up trees but he's been giving it a real good go in red ball cricket for 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 knots and tom banton likewise has been giving a go um you know really committing to the notion that that, that, that they can give this a go uh and again we've got the blast coming up i i, I just be interested to see how these guys are going to go the ones who are just just a little bit far away from in England recognition at the moment in white ball cricket but can just the notion that having form a bit like Joss Butler at the IPL in 2018 can form in one format translate to uh, selection in another and I I, I would obviously we'll, we'll see what happens after this New Zealand series but my my sense from the direction of travel is that you know it's all about mindset it's all about form it's all about belief in and having confidence in in your ability and if you can't break into the white ball team which you know does seem to be the 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 alpha team these days i mean again i mentioned the under 19s um, not so long ago obviously they got to the under 19 final and beat, lost to india but all of those guys are in awe of owen morgan's white ball team but equally it's the test team that needs reinvigorating. So how many of these guys can come out of the blast, use the blast as a platform to, to just showcase, so I'm in form, Give me, you know, I'm going to take this form back into the, into the championship and then, you know, we've got, got, uh, got South Africa coming up later in the summer. Could there be an opportunity just to, just to broaden out the, the footprint of English cricket across two formats? Because, uh, you know, again, this is the, this is the thing that Australia did so well in, in, the, in the 1990s was to take their white ball and red ball formats and and sort of make them make them almost one and the same essentially but there was an awful lot of people who fell by the wayside in 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 that era a lot of guys who Stuart Law for instance played one test and you know he'd he'd have been a shoe and he'd have been a hundred test player for England there must be a few guys who up and down the up and down the system at the moment who are just thinking what what does this mean for me what what does what does this new regime mean for my opportunity to play for England which ultimately is what any anyone comes into this game English cricket wanting to do, um, I suspect my hunch is that a lot a lot of guys will think that you know the, the Test team is actually not that far away. All of a sudden, it it, it it is it is attainable all of a sudden because um, you know there is there does sound does sound as though um, there's a willingness to to just trust the fact you're a good player, take what makes you good into into whatever format we can pick you in. Um, Take it from there. Never mind what's happening in the championship. Pick them straight out the blast. Well, I think, well you never know. You never know because the championship's not proven anything. <laughs> we'll see. Indeed. Okay, well, we should wrap this up before the ECB announces some other new appointment. The first test begins next Thursday, coinciding with the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. And we'll soon see whether English test cricket can reattain crown jewel status. We'll be back with bunting and trifle as the series progresses. Until then, my thanks to Miller and Matt and to you all for tuning in to the Switch It podcast on ESPNCrickInfo.com. Thank you.